When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 32, and we are recording on Tuesday, June 7th. I'm Jen Northington, and I am here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Holla. Holla. And Amanda has a dog. I do. (laughs) Um, So we'll see how that goes. Puppy. She's very... Puppyish. They, I got her at the SBCA, right? And they told me she was two, and they lied. She is. Oh, really? There, but I mean, I'm sure it wasn't a malicious lie. It was probably not on purpose. But there's no way this dog is two. She's probably like one. She's oh. she's hella puppy tastic, which means that she's like <laughs> eating all my stuff and has no home training, and I mean, she's cute. But if you hear barking or me telling a, some sort of a thing to stop eating my shoes, that's what's happening. She's right not now. talking to me. She's talking. I'm to not. The Jen dog. is not eating my shoes. As a matter of fact, my dog Lucy, my son named her Lucy for reasons only known to him. Who knows? Sure. So, uh, but she does, she's got a Lucille ball kind of wonky oh, kooky thing go. going on. Also, it gives me an opportunity every time I walk in the door to say, Lucy, I'm home! <laughs> and that's fun. I approve of this. Yeah. Um, okay, so if you haven't listened to the podcast before, this is a recommendation show. So you send us questions about what you should read next or what you should give to your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your uncle or your grandma <laughs> or your graduating nephew or whatever, um, and we will answer them. Uh, we get to every question. We're going to get to every question. Um, but if yours is time sensitive, please put a note about that in like very early on in either the form or the email or the tweet or however you send it to us um, so that we can can see it quickly and easily and get to you as soon as we can. So yes, you can put your questions into the form that's at the bottom of every Get Booked post, or you can tweet them to us. I'm Jen IRL, Jen with two N's, and Amanda says, are you, I'm Amanda Nelson uh-huh, still? yep. Okay, I do know your Twitter name. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. You are not required to. <laughs> uh, and then you can email us, uh, just send an email to getbooked at bookriot.com, and all of those ways are just fine to send us questions. Uh, let's see, is that all the housekeeping? I think it is. All right, let's dive right in. So our first question is from Rich. Hello there, friends. I was just wondering if you had any recommendations for entertaining history books. I read a load on, I read a load on Charlemagne and the Carolingians at school, and while I love the subject matter, I found a lot of them quite dry. Uh, the subject doesn't matter, just love history, and since I've now left full-time education, I miss learning about cool stuff that happened <laughs> a long time ago. Um, so yes, we do have recommendations, but we're gonna do our first sponsor. Yeah, I'm actually like kind of stoked about the first sponsor it's the the, it's a book uh it's called the fireman it's by joe hill it just came out and for those of you who do not know joe hill he wrote horns which is a movie with daniel radcliffe or was adapted to movie with daniel radcliffe uh heart-shaped box nosferatu and lock and key which is a great graphic novel um series i think there's more than one anyway joe hill is a horror writer and if you are unaware he's stephen king's son which is an interesting little tidbit so the fireman is about a worldwide pandemic of spontaneous combustion which is just the best (laughs) (laughs) fire awesome so the disease is called dragon scale and so it's a plague that um when you get it it's like a 
I guess like spores. It's kind of like a fungus, not so much like a virus or bacteria, but um, it marks you with these black and gold scale looking things across your body that are like really beautiful and nice looking. And then you burst into flames. Um, And the main character's name is Harper. She has discovered that she's got the disease. She's seen that she's got gold fleck marks on her skin, but she is also pregnant and she's trying to figure out a way to survive until her baby is born. Um, So she like would rather not burst into flames and take her unborn child down with her. Uh, and so she, there's like her storyline happening. And then at the same time, there's another character known as the fireman who is a mysterious man who like walks around in a dirty yellow firefighter's jacket. And he carries like a iron bar and he maybe is a little crazy, but who knows? And he has dragon skill. He's got the disease, but he's learned how to control like the fire. Um, they like combustion, the spontaneous combustion. And he's made it like his mission to go out and protect people who are contracting this disease because there's another segment of society that's taken it upon themselves to go exterminate everyone who has the appearance of, of dragon skill to, to try to control the pandemic. So um, the fireman is out to like protect these people. So the world is like burning out of control and civilization is falling and uh, Harper is trying to figure out how the fireman is controlling his uh, his own illness so that she can save herself and her child. So um, kind of a bonkers synopsis that sounds yeah, really awesome <laughs> I think like Joe Joe Hill's brain actually before I realized that he was a sponsor I for a question further down in the show I'm recommending another one of his books Nosferatu because it's just bonkers and I keep saying bonkers because all of his books are really bonkers like they're, they're they all have these really odd and and just bizarre out of the fields um concepts you know and like a pandemic of spontaneous combustion is like so Dickensian I just love it so much anyway so that's the fireman by Joe Hill thanks for sponsoring the show <laughs> <laughs> and that's my giggly uh, ad read. Nice. Uh, and since I'm talking, I'll just keep talking. So fun, entertaining history books is kind of my thing. I was a history major in college. I have a history degree, and I love, love, love reading history books. Although, to be honest, I, I also really enjoy, like, dry academic tomes. So, um, But the ones that I picked for you are not that. So the first one is How to Be a Victorian by Ruth Goodman. Ruth Goodman is amazing. If you haven't heard of her, you can go, she did a series of living history documentaries for the BBC, her uh, and two archaeologists. One is Victorian Farm, so her and her two archaeologist friends go and they live on like a recreated, like an authentic Victorian era farm in England, and they live there for a year, like doing the thing, being Victorian. She's also got one about Tudor living and a new book called How to Be a Tudor um, that just came out, the the it's called Tales from the Green Valley is the BBC documentary. She's got one about like a Victorian pharmacist, then Edwardian farm, which is my favorite. The Edwardian farm documentary is my favorite. Um, anyway, so how to be, how to be a Victorian is about the dawn to dusk life of people who lived in Victorian England. And the thing that I like about this book is that, so like you're saying how you read a lot about Charlemagne and all of that when you were in school, so much of history when it's taught in so many history books are about great men, like the great dudes and occasional queens who made history happen. And it's so very little about just what life was like for people who had to live uh, during this time period. And so this is what this is about that. This is about being kind of poor, middle class in the Victorian era and how you got up with no alarm clock and what you had for breakfast and the things that you did for like leisure time, um, what what your clothes were like, like how long it took you to get dressed and um, like just not just domestic life, but but yeah, mostly domestic life, cleaning, like house cleaning, uh, things like that, but also the sorts of jobs that most people had, how most people responded to the politics of the era if they could um, read and that kind of thing. So, and Ruth Goodman's enthusiasm for her subject matter always comes through really um, 
uh, not cheerfully, but she's got so much like bubbly interest in her topic, which is, I find a little bit rare in history books. Like, you know, that's one of the things that makes a lot of history books so dry is that the enthusiasm for the topic isn't really there. Um, it's just like a reportage of facts or someone trying to prove their thesis. But she's not here for that. She's just here to tell you about a subject that she finds personally fascinating and that she just happens to be an expert in. So I love it a lot. I love all of her books. I love all of her um, really strange BBC living history stuff. So How to Be a Victorian by Ruth Goodman. Amanda and I are history major twins. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, I didn't know, did I not know that? No, I knew that. I didn't know that. Just kidding. It's, yeah, it doesn't come up very often because I read so, weirdly, I read so little history now. But I do have suggestions for this. And also twins. I picked a book about actual people in history um, for my first recommendation. You'll have to bear with me because I read this book probably maybe almost a decade ago. It's been a while. Um, it came out in 2005 and I read it very soon after publication. So the specifics have escaped me, but I loved this book. It's A People's History of Science, Miners, Midwives, and Low Mechanics, with a K, uh, by Clifford Connor. And if you are familiar with Howard Zinn, A People's History of the United States, um, what Connor is doing here is he's looking at the history of science specifically, but through the lens of, like, the day-to-day achievements of people who go unrecognized in history because we want the one story, right? Like, we want Einstein, we want Edison, we want the one person who we think did the thing, but that's not how history or science works. Um, And so he is looking at all of the people who helped create procedures and methods and inventions and all of those things um, and are just kind of overlooked because they were not famous for it. Um, And so, and I remember when I was reading this book and going into work, I was working at a bookstore, I would be like, you guys, you guys, did you know? And it it gave me a serious case of the did you knows. I love those. I know, they're so great. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so, you know, this is going into things like, you know, like I said, like midwives and like mechanics and, um, you know, all of the people who added incrementally to the sum of human knowledge. And it just doesn't get talked about because it's not exciting. Uh, it's not headline news. So that if you're looking for like a good survey about a certain kind of thing, um, this is a great book for that. So that's a piece a people's history of science by Clifford Connor. Okay, my second pick for you comes, it isn't out yet, it comes out June 21st, so, you know, short wait. It's called White Trash, the 400-Year Untold History of Class in America. And it's I fun. really want to read this. It's the, I'm, like, in the middle of it. So, actually, I'm in the middle of, like, probably 50% of the books I'm recommending on this show for some reason. Nice. But, um, yeah, so it's by Nancy Eisenberg, who wrote uh, a book called The Fallen Founder about Aaron Burr that was great. Anyway, so as the title implies, this is about poor white people in America. And I went into this book with a little bit of trepidation because there's, you know, the the intersection of class and racial oppression in America especially is a thing that um, really needs to be examined. And she's looking more specifically at white people. And so I was kind of like nervous that she was going to ignore the intersection, but she, she doesn't. She handles it quite nicely. Anyway, so she starts from colonial America and this um, she kind of tackles this myth that we've created that America's a cl- like started off as this dream of a classless society where you can come and everyone can pull themselves up by their bootstraps and you make you know you make your own destiny and all of this and da 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 but in reality we the people who came over were British and they brought their you know British class prejudices and their um, class structure with them and we've pretty much kept it this entire time so um, she takes a look at indentured servitude 
all the way up through um, like uh, the Republican Party, how the Republican Party in the early 19th century came to rise because of poor white people and had the class issues that contributed to the Civil War and in re- how Reconstru- in, uh, during Reconstruction after the Civil War, um, a lot of the conflict of Reconstruction was about poor white people doing battle economically with newly freed slaves. And so she looks at that all the way up to present day where we as a society not just marginalize poor people, but uh, kind of gawk at them. Like, you know, here comes Honey Boo Boo, Duck Dynasty kind of stuff. Although to be fair, the Duck Dynasty people are not poor, but they they pretend to be poor for, for you know, TV. Um, and so now we've kind of fetishized it almost, uh, which you can see also in stuff like the tiny house movement where People who have a lot of money pay a lot of money to build what is essentially a trailer that the poor have been living in since trailers existed. So she's a it's a really fascinating look at class. And I've never really done much reading about the history of class or about class in general. Most of my historical uh, critical reading is about race and gender. So a lot of this information was new to me and it was an angle that I had never really considered. Um, And it's one that I think is especially appropriate in this current political climate when especially like poor white men are making such a big uh, fuss with like Trump and and all of his supporters. A lot of them come from this poor white sort of class situation and the the, uh, history of that class is just really fascinating. So, So that's White Trash and it comes out in like two weeks on June 21st by Nancy Eisenberg. My second pick for you, I've mentioned on the show before, it's The Black Count by Tom Rice. Such a good story. I just (laughs) finished it, uh, like, reading it again. Um, And so the setup is is that it turns out that Alexander Dumas, who wrote The Three Musketeers and The Count of Monte Cristo, etc., etc., his father was half black. His father was biracial, therefore... Dumas was biracial, and, like, nobody talks about this. This is the thing I did not know before this book uh, came out. And um, it's fascinating. And apparently, Dumas based a lot of the plot of his novels on his father's life because his father was a general in the Napoleonic Wars. And so Rice goes and digs up this archive in France in this, like, tiny nowhere town in France that turns out to have been where Dumas' parents uh, lived. And um, it's complicated, by the way, because... (laughs) they're all they all have the same name like alex alex dumas is who we refer to as the general which is alexander dumas father alexander dumas the writer so if i get a little mixed up in it that's why but anyway so tom writes this history and he finds this treasure trove of information about alex dumas the general and goes like hunt a he's got letters and he's got um like transcripts and, you know, supply orders from when Dumas was a general and all of this different stuff. And he recounts what, you know, how he came to be born, how he moved to France as a young man um, and was actually acknowledged by his white father, which was a big deal, uh, became like a dandy and then went into the military um, and, you know, actually like went head to head with a Napoleon punch. Um, and it's just fascinating. It's such a good story. Rice does a great job of making it feel like he is telling you a story. It's not dry at all. Um, but I really appreciate as a history major, how he wove the primary source material into the story itself. So there's all these like little interjections. And he also pulls passages out of Dumas own memoirs, um, Dumas, the writer's own memoirs, uh, that relate to his father's life. So it's super interesting 
interesting. It's really cool background if you're into the classics. Like if you've read the County Mo- the Count of Monte Cristo, which I just finished rereading, also <laughs> it provides a really interesting context for it. And also, I just don't feel like I don't know why, but I I've read so much literature that is set during the Napoleonic Wars, but so little of it actually addresses the Napoleonic Wars. Like Austin stuff. Like there's all these you know soldiers running around, but you never find out what they're actually doing in war. Um, and so this is a time period that I really dig. So if you are interested in those things, or even if you're not, this is just a great story, Um, especially because France was actually quite multiracial in the 18th century. And then as the Second Empire started, it sort of backtracked and rebounded. And like how and why that happened is just fascinating and very relevant to today. So that is The Black Count by Tom Rice. Okay, question two. This is from Jeannie. Um, let's see. I teach high school, summer school, and each year we read a novel together as a class. In previous years, we've read Lord of the Flies, Maze Runner, uh, Silver by Chris Wooding, etc. The group I'm working with read Hunger Games, Scorched Trials, and Battle Royale this school year. I'm looking to find a non-dystopian YA novel to read with this class of primarily 16 to 17-year-old boys. Our theme for this summer is learning to cook, food science, and food history. So if there's a book to tie into that, I'd love it. But my main goal is to branch out from the literary rut that they are in. Okay. I'll go first. Sure. Um, so my first pick for you is If I Was Your Girl by Meredith Russo. This is kind of a new-ish release. Um, and I just read it, and I love it with so many loves that it's hard for me to describe. <laughs> it's hard for me to describe my heart feels about this book. Um <laughs> So the main, char- the main character's name is Amanda. She's moved to a new town to live with her father after um, a really bad incident in her life where she was beaten and tried to commit suicide and was in therapy and support group and all of this um, kind of thing. And so she was beat up and has left her town where her mother lives to kind of start over um, with her father. And so she makes some friends. She, you know, develops like a crush on a boy and he likes her back and this starts to progress. But she has a secret Um, as, you know, a lot of YA characters do. Her secret is that she was born Andrew. And so she is a trans woman and has moved, fled her hometown where all of her, you know, her past um, is and where that's why she was beaten up. And that's what led her into this really deep depression and an attempt to end her life. Her family is not particularly understanding and while the book is not, the novel is not an autobiography, it is, it does have some autobiographical elements about Meredith's life living as a trans woman. I think she's from Tennessee. And this book takes place in, I'm forgetting the state, somewhere in the South, like Georgia, I think. Um, that might not be right. Anyway, it's in the South. So there's a lot, there's not just um, her family's prejudices. Her parents are divorced, but they both like separately have, have kind of issues with her uh, identity. And there's also the really deep religious stuff that you can often find in a really small southern town. So she's got that uh, to deal with. And it's not just that, like, people from her church judge her. It's that she judges herself because she was raised in that southern Baptist kind of atmosphere. And she believes that stuff. So she, um, you know, is like, she's internalized a lot of that narrative and is... um, judging herself for it and it contributes to her depression and her guilt and anyway so she has to decide if she's gonna 
tell this boy that she likes and her new friends uh, anything about her past. Of course, she's not just afraid of being rejected, but of being assaulted, which is a real fear that uh, trans people live with. So there's a lot here to talk about. And it, I don't necessarily, you know, I'm not going to like the idea of like a summer read, I feel like is just it's just a book that you read in the summer. So I don't I don't know. But since you're <laughs> picking something for summer school, um, I assumed that you would maybe want something that would be kind of thought-provoking and, and, you know, generate a lot of discussion. And this certainly will. You know, it's obviously a timely topic with all of these bizarre and awful and hate-filled, bigoty bathroom laws that are being passed, especially through the South. Um, And so, yeah, I really liked it. (laughs) And that's all I got to say about that. So that's If I Was Your Girl by Meredith Russo. And I think it's actually coming out in paperback pretty soon. Um, So you might be able to get it in paperback for your class. This was a hard question. This was super hard. I kind of, I, I had a hard time with the food theme. I, I have failed you on that front. But um, I kind of understood you to be asking that you wanted something, you know, not dystopian that way. So theoretically realistic. Um, and my first pick is, doesn't kind of seem like it on the surface, but bear with me. Uh, it's Going Bovine by Libba Bray, which is an awesome book. Um, it was a Prince Honor book. And uh, it's about a 16-year-old named Cameron, who is just, you know, like kind of normal. Nothing is majorly different about him, um, at least at first. And he's just trying to get through high school. And then he finds out that he he has a, like, he's going to die. He has an illness and he's going to die. And it's like mad cow disease for people. I can't remember what that's called, but that's what he has. <laughs> mad um, cow disease for people. Works it's for me. mad cow disease for people. So he, uh, he just like, you know, you get, you're 16 and you find out you're going to die. And like, that is terrible. Um, and then this angel slash punk slash maybe she's a hallucination named Dulcie shows up and tells him that there's a cure, but he's going to have to uh, go on a quest for the cure. So he does. He goes on the quest for the cure with a yard gnome and a dwarf and, um, you know, sets off on this sort of road trip through America. But it's not like actual it's not the America that we know. It's a very strange, like <laughs> hijinxy, weird stuff happening all over the place version of America. So it's but there's a twist and I can't. I don't want to tell you the twist on the air. Um, you can look it up in reviews online if you want to know it before you give it to your students. But um, for those of you who don't like spoilers, I'm not going to tell you the twist. Uh, but it, I, it, I think it would fit very well with what you're going for. Um, and Libba Bray is just great. She's so funny. And this book is so smart and weird. And, like, I cannot... I, I really feel like it will grab the attention of your students in an interesting way and provide a ton of things to talk about. Um, there's so much you can you can pick apart in this book, uh, and it's just delightful. So <laughs> that's Going Bovine by Libba Bray. It's got like a cow with a lawn gnome on the cover, and it's one <laughs> of my favorite covers. Um, anyway, I just really like that book a lot. Okay, <laughs> All right, um, so my second pick for you is a graphic well, graphic memoir, but a graphic novel. Um, You said novel, but I'm hoping that graphic novel is good also. Um, It's called Relish. It's by Lucy Nicely. Nicely? Nicely. I I think it's Nicely, actually. I think I've been saying it wrong for years. Yeah. Um, So anyway, Lucy Nicely. uh, The book is Relish, My Life in the Kitchen. And I love this so much. So it's a memoir about her life as framed through... Um, meals that she's had. So she grew up, her, her mother was a chef and her father was, I guess what they call a foodie. I really dislike that word, but was like really into food. And all of her um, parents' friends were also 
bakers and chefs and like founders of the slow food movement in New York and that kind of thing. So there's a lot of food history uh, here, which you said that you were kind of looking for. Um, and each chapter is bookended by a recipe with an illustration. Man, this book makes me so hungry. I can't even tell you. Um, and I think that I don't know if it's if this is technically considered YA, but so much of it is about her childhood and her young adulthood and things in her life that um, stood out to her. And the thing that she, the point that she's making here is that her memories aren't framed by um, like uh, you know big important things that happen in her life. Her memories are framed by food. So like she remembers um, chai tea that her mother used to make, and she's got a lot of memories based around the taste of that, or based around the taste of honey and like summers that she used to spend outside and that kind of thing. So um, there's a lot, obviously, a lot of stuff to talk to, about here uh, with food. There's also um, the recipes are illustrated, so I don't know if you wanted to cook something with your class, you could probably do that. Um, but it's more about memory and family, uh, and I think, you know, I don't know that she intended this, but I think there's a lot of stuff to talk about here with class, because she, her, her upbringing was obviously pretty um, kind of upper class, and the food that her family feeds her is, it's like evidenced in that, so I think that that would be an interesting conversation point here. Um, but since it is a graphic novel or graphic memoir, whatever, uh, I think it's a good read for summer. But it's not a graphic memoir that's, um, like, it's not text light. There's a lot of text here. So it's not like you're cheating. Um, it's ba- what I, I, it looks, it reads to me just like an illustrated memoir. Like, there's a lot of art, but there's also a lot of text and a lot of stuff to talk about. So that's Relish by Lucy Nicely. Question mark on pronunciation there. <laughs> the chocolate chip recipe in that book is so good. You've tried delicious. it? Oh, yes. Good, good. It's delicious. Okay. Uh, my second pick for you, I don't know how strict your school is. I So you may or may not be able to read this book for, your, for with students, but if you can, I recommend that you do. It is All American Boys by Jason Reynolds and Brendan Kiley, and it is very contemporary and topical. It's about two boys, um, one of whom is a black boy who gets accused of stealing at a convenience store and then subsequently gets beat up by the cop who is arresting him. And he ends up in the hospital. He can't go to school. And this gets witnessed by a bunch of people. Um, And so there is a huge hubbub in the town about what happened, whether it was ever justified, uh, why the cop did it, um, you know, and the cop is like an upstanding member of society, and he also is the brother of the other narrator, Quinn, who saw the whole thing happen, Um, and, or no, wait, yes, it's his friend's older brother, that's right, the cop is Quinn's friend's older brother, Um, and so he, Quinn does not know, know what to do, should he say something, should he not say something, does he, what does he think happened, Um, and so the book is an alternating narratives from the two of them, uh, uh, you know, one black, one white, uh, trying to make sense for themselves of this incident that happened, and, you know, so Quinn is still going to school, and there's all kinds of, you know, people talking about it at school, and he's trying to understand like what it is that he's supposed to do and Rashad now is kind of famous like his face is on TV and everybody knows what happened to him and so now he has to deal with that Um, it's really complex there's a lot of different things going on it's a really interesting exercise in parallel narratives um, and obviously very relevant to contemporary America so maybe too controversial but I thought I'd throw it out there because it's well worth the read that is All American Boys by Jason Reynolds and Brendan Kiley 
All right. All right. It's me. Uh, next question is from Amanda. Different Amanda. <laughs> I am lucky enough to be able to make my living as a chocolatier. I get to work alone a lot, and my kitchen has a stereo, and my favorite listening option while working happens to be audiobooks. Uh, Every year towards the end of spring, my heart starts to yearn for the Christmas season. Um, I was hoping you could recommend some Christmassy or even late-in-the-year holiday-themed audiobooks that might help inspire me to create something truly spectacular for this holiday season. I like psychological mysteries, culinary cozy mysteries, literary fiction, horror, dark fantasy, and magical realism okay okay so i'm gonna keep talking my first pick for you is all about the holidays it's landline by rainbow rowell who i have hearts for um this book is really fun it is about a woman named georgie who is a very successful tv writer and she works really hard and she works really long hours she loves her job um and she is married to neil and they have a kid they have kids? They have kids. Yes. Um, and, uh, but she's kind of, you know, uh, an absent mom. Like, she's not at home a lot. Um, and so their marriage is suffering for it. Um, things are kind of on the rocks. And it's the holiday season, and Neil, like, she, something comes up in her work, and she can't go to visit his family for Christmas. So he takes the kids, and he goes, and she kind of can't believe this is happening. Um, and she, one night, uh, her cell phone is dead, and there's a storm, and she actually calls his family's house's landline um, to get a hold of him, because that's the only number she can remember. And she gets a past version of Neil. She gets, like, Neil from their college days. So it's, um, and they start having this conversation. He doesn't know she's from the future. Um, she doesn't tell him, obviously. And uh, it's it's a really interesting story about, like, trying to think of, like, how you became who you are. Are you happy with who you are? How do you make your life work? There's a lot of, like, serious questions going on, but it's a hilarious book. It's so funny. Um, Rainbow Rowell, I feel like, is really good at that snappy, snappy dialogue. Um, I feel like Georgie and she have a lot in common in terms of being able to write for TV. I feel like this would make a great uh, miniseries or something. But anyway, uh, it's a really entertaining book. It's all about family and the holidays, so it seems like a good fit for you. So that is Landline by Rainbow Rowell. Okay, um, my first pick for this, I love this book so much, it's 2 a.m. at the Cat's Pajamas by Marie-Helene Bertino, which is just the most Christmassy book ever, and it's great on audio. That's how I um, read it or took ingested it, whatever. That's, yeah, you know what I'm saying. Um, so the book is about, a, it's a different, several different characters. You're following the, the narratives of a couple of different characters over the course of one night, uh, Christmas Eve in Philadelphia. So the main character is Madeline, who's a little girl whose mother has just died. She's living with her father, who is not coming out of his depression after the death of his mother, or the death of his wife, rather. So Madeline is really um, raising herself at this point. She's nine years old. She's precocious but not in like an annoying precocious literary child sort of way um mostly just in a smart alecky kind of way um and so she has a really bad day at school and she discovers that her mother who was a great a really great jazz singer um sang at a club called the cat the cat's pajamas and so madeline is kind of determined that like tonight she's gonna sing at the cat's pajamas because it's christmas eve and she misses her mother and gosh darn it she just wants to um, and so there's that. Then you're also following her fifth grade teacher, Serena, who's moved back to Philadelphia after her divorce and is about to go to a dinner party, a Christmas Eve dinner party, um, with some old friends, including the guy that she had a giant crush on in high school. Um, so there's that thing that you're following. And then also the owner of the club, the owner of the cat's pajamas, a guy named Lorca, who is... Um, 
kind of having a lot of financial and like legal difficulties and is probably going to have to shut the club down. So it's these these are the three main characters and you are following them and their struggles on Christmas Eve. And it's got one of my favorite lines or like moments in literature where Madeline is singing. Um, she's a great singer and she like nails this song at a school performance and she says something like here I am Lord look at this effing business except she says it in the middle of like her Catholic school in front of her priest and her principal and she doesn't say effing and it's just hilarious on on, on, on audio that I like had to pull over because I was laughing so hard so it's really funny it's got a lot of really heartwarming moments it's very Christmassy lots of um, like food talk and like walking in the snow and that sort of thing so if you want to get in the mood this is a good one so that's 2am at the cat's pajamas by Marie Helene Bertino I co-sign that. I love, love that book. It. Uh, okay, my second pick for you is because you said you liked horror, and while I could not verify this, it's been a little while since I read it, I swear that this takes place in the winter because I remember feeling super cold the whole time I was I reading it. I agree with you. Like, right? It yes. does take place in the winter. Okay, I just wanted to verify. I also um, do not know for sure, but I'll remember right, being, like, like, cold. Yeah. I have visual memories of the characters, like, standing around freezing. Um, so we're just going to go with it. <laughs> <laughs> we're going with it. So my second pick for you is Broken Monster by Lauren Bucus, who is so freaking scary. I mean, she's not scary. Her books are scary. She's lovely. She's very nice. Um, she's really nice. Uh, but her books are terrifying. And um, they're some of the only horror I read. I don't actually read that much horror, but I love her so much. And so this book takes place in Detroit. And uh, the main character, Detective Gabrielle Versado, it gets put on a case where they have discovered a body in a tunnel, in an abandoned tunnel. But it's not just a body. It's like a boy who's been half-fused with the legs of a deer, and they can't figure out how it's happened. Like, it doesn't make scientific sense the way that the top half and the bottom half of the body are joined. And then he's dead, which is terrible. Um, and so they're investigating this super bizarre murder. And there is a serial killer on the loose, and the serial killer is doing super weird stuff with his victims. Um... There's a couple other characters. One is her daughter, uh, Versado's daughter, Layla, who is such a great voice, um, a really nice balance. And she's dealing with her own stuff. She has a friend, and she and her friend are, like, you know, doing teen stuff, like, getting into a little bit of trouble, though. Um, they're catfishing <laughs> sexual predators online. Yeah, and then, like, fine. Yeah, totally fine. I, it just, it's probably not a good thing. <laughs> but that's what they're doing. Um, and among other things... Um, you know, going to parties that they shouldn't go to. And then it turns out that her friend has a secret and um, she's trying to deal with finding out about that. And then on top of it, there's this journalist guy named Jono, who I just hated mm -hmm. the whole time. He is the worst. Um, and he is one of those people who's like gonna do the story on Detroit, like you know, the ghost town with the cool art scene. Like he's trying to, he's basically like hipster journalist extraordinaire. Um, <laughs> Disaster porn. Yeah, really, exactly. And he gets involved in this whole thing. Um, and after finishing reading this book, I, like, swore never to go near an art gallery for at least a few months because the mm. way that uh, Bukas weaves, like, art into this murder subplot is really amazing and also really, really scary. Um, and the book is just so gripping. I loved 
it from start to finish. They're making, or they were, it got optioned for a TV show, which I super hope happens. Um, and in my head, Rosario Dawson plays Gabriela Versado, even though she's just like, right? Like, that would be so perfect. Anyway, okay, sorry, I'm getting sidetracked. Uh, you should read Broken Monsters by Lauren Bukas because it's great. Okay, I'm done now. <laughs> okay. Um, so, also, I picked my second one also because you mentioned that you like horror, and it's Nosferatu by Joe Hill. Told you I was going to talk about another Joe Hill book. Man, this is the creepiest Christmas book ever, and I have so many problems with Christmas now <laughs> because of this. Um, I had to stop reading it. It was too scary for <gasps> Really? <laughs> I'm a wuss. I'm a wuss. I read this. Hold on. I'm, I've got it up. On, it came out in 2013, so my kids were three, and th- it makes you think about how kids are really just tiny sociopaths, like, so much, and I was mm. like, I, I remember reading it and then looking over at my twins, who are kind of inherently creepy, because twins <laughs> are just creepy in and of themselves, and being like, oh no, what have I done? <laughs> anyway... <laughs> So the main character in this book is named Victoria. You start that you, you know the book opens when she's a kid, and she has discovered that she when she rides her bike across this rickety bridge that's like down the street from her house or like in the back of the woods, it takes her wherever she needs to go to discover whatever it is that she's looking for. So if she's looking for a bracelet of her parents that she's you know lost, she takes she gets on her bike, crosses the bridge, and it like arrives at the place where the bracelet is. Um, she needs an answer to a question that she can't figure out. She gets on her bike, crosses the bridge, and just arrives at the place where the answer to her question is. So obviously she's got some kind of like supernatural ability thing happening. The villain in the book is named Charlie Manx, and he drives a 38 Rolls-Royce Wraith with the plate that says Nosferatu, which is great. <clears throat> Excuse me. And with his car, he can kind of go into the same otherworldly dimension or whatever as Victoria. And he, what he does is he kidnaps children in the normal world, puts them in his car, and takes them to his home in the other dimension. I don't even, I'm sure there's like a better word for it, but you know what I'm saying. Um, and he calls it Christmas Land. And it's always Christmas here. But the thing that makes it creepy is that he takes children. And removes their ability to tell right from wrong or like to reason. It's hard to explain, but like kids aren't born like with an innate ethical compass. You know, you have to teach them that that's what being a parent is about. And he, this villain, removes all of that. Like there are no adults in Christmas land. And so they can do stuff like stab you in the face with scissors and think it's funny because they don't know that it's not um and so that's what he does is he takes children and removes their kind of humanity and their ability to feel empathy and that's the horror in this book and it is really horrifying when i say it a lot it doesn't sound that bad but it's like the creepiest oh my God, thing ever it's terrifying yeah, it's and so the, ma- the bad guy is like the scariest thing ever <laughs> He's like a weird old vampire looking thing. He is so scary. Yeah. Sorry. sorry. So he kidnaps Victoria uh, and she escapes. She's the only kid to ever escape him. Um, And she grows up. She's got a lot of troubles because, you know, she was obviously traumatized by her experience being abducted. Um, And um, he comes for her when she's a grown up. He, He comes and takes her son and takes him to Christmas land. So she has to go save her boy. Um, Joe writes like a really strong, flawed, interesting, great female main character here, which is, you know, kind of admirable <laughs> for a male author. Um, but it's just horrifying. And I don't know if it's going to get you in the mood to make chocolate, but it's definitely going to make you think about Christmas <laughs> and maybe want to skip it for the rest of your life. So, yeah, that's Nosferatu by Joe Hill. It's so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, gross, gross, gross. Okay, question four, it me. Um, this is from, oh, Anonymous. So, this is Anonymous. 
Hi, Amanda and Jen. I run a sci-fi fantasy book club in a group called Geek Girls Forever. That's awesome. I have a feeling this is going to be one of many emails I might send you. We're focusing on a different subgenre of sci-fi or fantasy each month. I want to do a fairy tale retelling month, but I'm having trouble finding fairy tale retellings that are not YA. I love YA, but we vote for the picks each month out of five book choices, and I don't want them all to be YA. So if you have any non-YA books that are fairy tale retellings, I would appreciate it. Um, yeah, I'm done. You can go first. <laughs> okay. Uh, my first pick for you just came out recently. It is called Roses and Rot by Cat Howard, and it's great. Yay, it is, I guess I should say, Cat used to be a contributor to Book Riot, but is no longer. But, um, so this book is amazing. This is about, like, she basically takes the question, what would it look like if the Fae ran an artist colony? And runs with it. Um, so the fairy telling repart is that it's sort of like a Tamlin slash Thomas the Rhymer retelling. Um, but it's about two sisters named Imogen and Marin, both of whom are artists. Imogen is a writer and Marin is a dancer. And they both apply to go to this artist colony that they've heard amazing things about. And they both get in. So they go together. Um, it's going to be their sort of reunion. They had a very difficult, troubled childhood. Um, they have an abusive mother. And they kind of haven't seen each other for a while. And there's a lot of baggage, um, but this is their chance to reconnect, or so they think. And so they go up to this uh, <coughs> artist colony in, like, New Hampshire, I think it is. Um, it's New England. And it's amazing. It seems perfect. Everything is beautiful, and the food is delicious, and the houses are weird, and there's all these cool artists running around, and then they start to discover that things are not exactly what they seem. Um, and they find out that each, every seven years, the Fae, who make this whole thing possible, uh, take a tithe. They take a person, and they uh, keep that person. Um, <laughs> because that's what the Fae do. They kidnap artists for their revelries. Um, I just love the way this takes that basic concept, like which if you've read a bunch of fairy tales about fairies and the Fae, like you recognize, and sort of, you know, turns it on its head and gives it a contemporary spin. Um, there's a couple of great wild hunt scenes, which made me so happy like I'm a huge fairy tale nerd so this book was just a delight uh, to read and I also really loved like all of the family stuff like there's real weight here there's real stakes but they're not the stakes that you would think um, so that is Roses and Rot by Kat Howard okay my first pick is Uprooted by Naomi Novik which I think I've talked about on the show before but this is a retelling of Polish fairy tales which I think is great because it's not it's not a fairy tale that I was uh, like really familiar with though it does have some similarities to like Beauty and the Beast a little bit um, but yeah Polish woo um, so this is like kind of in a medieval sort of land and the main character's name is Agnieszka I don't know if I'm saying that right um but she lives in a village next to the wood, and the wood is like this horrible, creepy, malevolent, vicious sort of area where you go into the wood, you don't come out. And the wood um, is like encroaching upon human territory a little bit at a time, or though more and more um, quickly recently, um, and it has to be kind of pushed back by the dragon. The dragon is a wizard who lives in a big tower. And he's kind of the lord of the area. Um, and he serves the village by controlling the wood. But his price is that every 10 years he takes a young woman from the village to serve him. And, of course, there's a lot of implications about what serving him entails. Um, and once he keeps them for 10 years, then he lets them go. And the women that he let go never talk about their experience. They just leave. Like, they, they don't go home to their families. They just run off to live their own lives. Um, and so Agnieszka knows that the dragon is coming to take her best friend, Kasia, who's beautiful and brave and nice and smart and all of these things. Um, but he doesn't. He comes and he takes 
Agnieszka and leaves her best friend. And so she has no idea. She's totally unprepared for being taken. She goes to the tower with the dragon because she doesn't have a choice. Um, and there, the Beauty and the Beast stuff kind of starts here. He takes her because she has magical abilities and so he wants to train her up. Um, and he turns out to not be like the big, giant, horrible, violent, vicious monster that Agnieszka sort of expected him to be. But he's also not like nice. <laughs> you know, like he's not... Um, sweet, loving, cuddly kind of fella. And the, the direction that the story goes in, when you when you kind of start feeling like you understand that this is a Beauty and the Beast tale, is not... It takes, like, a total left turn. Like, you're expecting, you know, them to fall in love and the happily ever after and blah, 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 but that's not what happens. She goes off and, like, teaches herself her own version of magic and defeats some bad guys and all of that. I'm not going to keep going because spoilers, but, like, the wood has a big... Um, part to play here and it's just a really good story and it's really well written and Agnieszka is such a great character and I love how she took the fairy tale ending that I expected and made it totally different and more interesting and more compelling and it's just a really great read and it's a standalone which is kind of rare for fantasy these days so that's Uprooted by Naomi Novik my second pick is Mr. Fox by Helen Oyeyemi. Um, Amanda and I have both recommended Boy Snowbird, which is her other novel, which is kind of a fairy tale retelling, but is not itself a fantasy or sci-fi. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But Mr. Fox is crazy pants. <laughs> it is a basically a Bluebeard retelling, uh, like twisted all interestingly and weird, which is what Helen Oyeyemi is so good at. Um, so... <laughs> The main character in this story is a man uh, named Mr. Fox, who is always doing horrible things to the heroines of his stories. Um, that's the Bluebeard part. Uh, and um, nobody has ever, like, been able to make him a less arrogant, bizarre, terrible person. <laughs> uh, and then one day, uh, his muse, his imaginary, he has this imaginary muse named Mary Fox, and she decides to manifest herself and teach him a lesson. And the book is a series of, like, almost, uh, like, I, it's kind of like short stories. Like, there's these short bits, um, vignettes or something, that then make up the whole of the novel, um, in which Mary is trying to, like, teach him the error of his ways. But it's not like a, like a do-gooder kind of thing. Like, she's also kind of dark and twisty. And so the book is really bizarre and really interesting. Um, and it's just kind of an amazing, surreal reading experience. I feel like it's a great book club fodder because there's a lot of, like... But wait, what happened in that scene? Like, who's real and who's not real? There's a lot of interesting stuff here. And Oyami oh yeah, mean, is just an amazing writer. Mm -hmm. uh, this was uh, a nominee for a bunch of different awards. Um, and so uh, I think it's well worth the time of your book group, even though it's like, it's not the easiest read because it is so strange, but it's really worth it. So that is Mr. Fox by Helen Oyami. Okay, my second pick is The Snow Child by Aowen Ivy. I know how to say that. I don't know what just happened to my face. <laughs> it's fine. Anyway, it takes place in Alaska in the early 1900s, like 1920. And it's following Jack and Mabel, who are an older, an older couple who have moved to homestead here in Alaska. Um, they are kind of escape. They're trying to like escape their life where they are both. Ex they're both dealing with like the despair of not being able to have children in their own way. So he's kind of breaking under the weight of working this farm by himself. She's going like slowly crazy because she's so lonely and she's so sad. Um, and then they have a moment where they uh, the season's first snowstorm comes and they build a snow child. 
out of snow, obviously, um, together as like a bonding moment. And then when they wake up the next morning, it's gone. The snow child that they built is gone. Um, but they are starting to see a little blonde girl running through the trees around their house. And they like lure her inside because the little blonde girl running around in the snow in Alaska is going to you know, die. Um, so they call her in to kind of save her. She calls herself Faina, and she is the sort of child, she's got this really mystical thing going where she can, seems to be able to survive in the woods by herself. She befriends animals. Um, and they, Jack and Mabel, are trying to, like, honestly figure out if she's just, like, a spare orphan from somewhere or if the snow child that they built literally turned into a human person. Like, but And this is a real fairy tale. It's a real... The Snow Child is an actual fairy tale that is being retold here. Um, and so there's a lot of things in this book that are, like, subtly and quietly violent. And there's obviously a mystery of what Faina is. Like, is she real? Is she a figment of Jack and Mabel's imagination? Does she belong to someone, um, like a local, another homesteader, one of their neighbors? So, you know, you're reading the book and figuring all that out. So that's The Snow Child by Eowyn Ivy. All right. Is it? It is time for our second sponsor, which is us. It's Book Riot Live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm super excited because, as you may have heard on the internet, we now have Walter Mosley as one of our speakers. Which, like, I just can't even, (laughs) I don't have words about how excited I am about this. Um, If you are not familiar, he has written more than 40 books and won a bunch of awards, including a Grammy, because he's just that awesome. This is my favorite part of the story. His Grammy was for the album notes on Richard Pryor's album. Which was just like, I I don't know. I just can't even. This man is so interesting and smart. Um, And we have a bunch of other great speakers, too. There are so many good people on board. I'm really excited about it. And so we got all excited about this. So we decided to extend the early bird discount until the end of June. So you now have until June 30th to get your discounted VIP tickets. You still can get uh, early RSVP access, uh, among other great things, including a free water bottle, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And I am like behind the scenes plotting the programming and it's going to be awesome. So you should definitely come and hang out with us. Book Riot Live is November 12th and 13th in New York City. And if you go to bookwritelive.com. You will see all the the information. You can check out the speaker list. Um, you can read more about the different authors. You can buy your tickets, which you should do. So yes, that is bookwritelive.com. Come and join us. It's going to be awesome. Okay, right. Next question is me. Uh, this question is from Madeline. I'm going on vacation the beginning of June, and I was hoping you guys could help me with some of my beach reading books. I think romance would be the perfect kind of thing to read on a beach, but I don't know what to pick. Let's see. I... I've been unable to finish every romance novel I've picked up. I think I've just been picking the wrong kinds, and I was hoping you two could point me in the right direction. Uh, Let's see. I always end up getting super invested in the relationship, especially if it has a love-hate thing or doomed-slash-forbidden love. However, I also like a good plot. The problem with the romance books I've been picking up is that they only seem to be about romance but have no other plot elements to them. The majority of what I read is fantasy and sci-fi, but I do on occasion read historical fiction. I was thinking some good urban fantasy might be nice. Oh, do we have recommendations for you? But I've been talking for forever. Amanda, you go first. Okay. So my first pick I read because Jen yes. told me to. Yes. I always, I, I obey her. Um, so um, the book is called Kushiel's Dart, and it's by Jacqueline Carey. And this is the first uh, book in a series, so if you like it, you can continue. And man, talk about plot. Like, so much plot for you. Um, it is about a woman named Fedra. 
which I've never said out loud, um, who is, man, this universe is so hard to describe. And it's like, it's kind of sort of based on Christian elements, but not really. Anyway, start over. So Fedra is a young woman who's born to parents who are kind of poor. They sell her into indentured servitude. And this is a fantasy, so it's kind of like a medieval-ish sort of uh, world. They sell, they sell her into indentured servitude into a house um, that is um, essentially... It reminds me a lot of... Um, now, of course, I'm kidding. Firefly. So the show Firefly, the character oh, yeah. Mel's... Uh, what's Inara. That? Inara, yes. It reminds me a lot mm-hmm. of Inara. Like how her job as a, an escort or whatever it is that they call it. Companion. Oh, companion, yes, on Firefly. the show. Yeah. Um, is like both looked upon by society as like a lowly and, you know, they call her a whore when they want to insult her. But it's also like very respectable and part of the, like an integral part of that the society of that universe. And the house that um, Fedra is sold into in this book is the same thing. So she's going to be trained basically to be what is essentially a prostitute, but um, it has a lot of importance to the mythology, uh, uh, like the religious reality of this universe. Um, and is also like a respected, not job, but she's essentially yeah, a... Yeah, no, it's... Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, It kind of is. They get paid for it. Like, she's a sex worker. She's a fancy sex worker. Yeah, a very fancy sex worker. With religious overtones. With a lot of religious overtones. And the, the thing that's special about her is that she is a very rare, apparently it's rare, um, masochist and sexual submissive, but, like, extreme masochist. So she, like, loves the pain, loves it, loves it. And when they realize this, the people who own her servitude, when they realize that she is this sort of person, they sell her to uh, a nobleman who isn't who takes her who like trains her up to be to continue in this work but also to to uh listen basically because he kind of has this understanding that really wealthy politicians and noblemen are all a little bit sadistic so he knows that they're going to want to buy her services um so he trains her to basically eavesdrop on their conversations to get information for them and to play this kind of game of thrones politics sort of thing for him he like is using her as a weapon so there's tons of stuff going on here you're trying to figure out why her the guy who buys her his name is Anafial like what his deal is what he's trying to get her to find out of course you're um, following her growing up and coming to terms with what she is and what she enjoys and how um, she feels about selling it basically Um, she her, her like nemesis I love I love this her nemesis is another woman who is a dominant, who she encounters at the beginning of the book, and, like, they both know that they are, like, destined to come together and have this really twisted and unhealthy tie to each other, but they can't escape it because of what they like. It's, like, very strange and just great and yummy, and there's just, like, a lot of um, stuff going on here, and it's, you know, it's a fantasy and it's a romance, but it's also got mystery and it's got lots of action and it's got lots of intrigue, so it's super plot heavy and all of the romantic elements are definitely secondary um to all the other stuff going on so there you go kashiel's dart by jacqueline carey so great it's so I great i just I got the second one from the library so the world building is so intense like it's there's it so much going on like she so intricately <laughs> creates this entire religious system mm-hmm. that's like totally based on sex that is fascinating and man yeah. jacqueline carey's brain is just wild it, true facts. <laughs> uh, okay, so my first pick for you is a steampunk. 
uh, romance that I really loved. It's actually apparently number two in the series, which somehow I didn't realize <laughs> when I read it. Um, but so I have proven that you can read it and not need to know what else is going on. Uh, so it's called The Scarlet Devices by Delphine Dryden. And it's about a young woman named Eliza who is like kind of a blue stocking. She's just graduated university and she's crusading for workers' rights. And But she also secretly really loves to race cars. Um, <laughs> but like they're like steam cars. Like this is steampunk. It's oldie times so they're oldie time cars um and her cousin is doing like a giant race um and it's across the country into like what is sort of the western frontier and she is like she enters and she's gonna drive her car and she's determined to win and her nemesis as it were is a man named matthew who kind of was like a big brother to her um it's her cousin's friend and she's all grown up now and he is kind of trying to make his own uh way in the world and he feels very brotherly towards her so he like feels like he has to keep her safe in this potentially treacherous race Um, and she's just like do not interfere with me I am fine I'm going to beat the pants off of you in this race (laughs) and he's like no no I must protect you from the things Um, and hijinks ensue (laughs) and I really love this book because it's a a really interesting dynamic there's some great like sexy times Um, and Eliza is biracial which is an interesting twist and um, and then there's also all of this stuff about like like I said she was campaigning for workers' rights so there's a lot of like political stuff in here which is really interesting and I thought pretty well handled so there's some plot there's it's part of a series so if you like it there's more um, and it's a really interesting twist on like the steampunk western so that is Scarlet Devices by Delphine Dryden so my other pick for you is also steampunk because yay I guess. We went down to steampunk uh, rabbit hole. It's called Gunpowder Alchemy. It's by Jeannie Lin, and I'm actually reading this right now. I'm almost done with it, and uh, I love it so much. It's so much fun. So this is like this is steampunk Chinese historical fiction romance. So lots of stuff going on here. It takes place in the mid 19th century in China, so during the Qing Dynasty, um, and Britain, of course, like was tr- is true to history, has sort of invaded parts of China, taken over some of their ports um, with their steam engines, and they've used their steam engines to defeat the Qing Dynasty's boats that are powered by gunpowder. And so, in a fit of just fury about um, his defeat, the emperor kills all of his engineers, or like kills some of them and sends some of the other ones into exile, uh, including the main character Soling's father. So this happens eight years before the book kind of opens. Her father is executed by the emperor for not defeating Britain for him. And since then, her and her family have fallen into poverty. Her mother's become an opium addict. Her little brother is only eight years old, and she's trying to care for her family um, while as by working as a physician, which as a woman is like a weird and not acceptable thing, which also means that she's pretty much ruined her chances of getting married um, because she is working in a, you know, societally unacceptable, um, what do you call it, uh, job. And um, so she leaves her family in, in their village and travels to a big city to sell off uh, the last of her father's possessions, you know, to, like, buy food for her family. While she's there, she's arrested by secret agents of the crown prince. And turns out that the crown prince is, unlike his father, is trying to use the scientists who work for the... Um, dynasty to defeat the British instead of just kind of letting them in and, and letting them stay. And he realizes that Soling probably has some of her father's papers or secrets hidden somewhere, so he takes her in. And she gets kind of bounced back and forth between the agents who work for the the, uh, the emperor's son and the rebels. 
Um, they are both after the secrets that her father had, and so she gets kidnapped from her kidnappers, and then kidnapped from those kidnappers a couple of times. <laughs> um, all the while, she's trying to like get home to her family because you know the whole purpose that she had in leaving them in the first place was to get the food because they're starving. So this whole time, she's trying to get back uh, to them. Um, and while she's in the middle of all of this craziness that's happening, war breaks out. So these rebels. Um, the Banner of Heaven, which I think was the Boxer Rebellion. I, I don't remember, but um, there's a big rebellion that breaks out against the Empire right around her village where her family is. So she has to break through um, this like new military uh, to get to her family. So she's not just fleeing from the Emperor. She's fleeing from the rebels. She's fleeing from her father's old friends who think that she has secrets. She's also fleeing like opium um, dealers and all of this. It's like action-packed crazy. And through all of this, she has rediscovered or come back into contact with the man she was betrothed to. It was an arranged marriage when she was very young, uh, who worked for her father. This man worked for her father. Um, and then when her father was executed, he called off the engagement um, because her family was now in disgrace. Turns out that's not the whole truth. And so there's a little bit of romance there. He's trying to like keep her safe and help her navigate all of this weird political stuff and get her back to her family. Um, and so there's, yeah, their relationship is like very fraught. Um, but, you know, like you're here for the steampunk war, <laughs> basically, uh, in the King Dynasty and like the cool historical fiction stuff. So that's Gunpowder Alchemy. It's by Jeannie Lin. Also the first in the series. So you can continue if you like it. And I think that's... Oh, you have one more. I have one more. Sorry. Uh, it is an urban fantasy. I, like, you did request urban fantasy. And I felt <laughs> like I should give you one. Um, and I really enjoyed this book. It is called Blood of the Wicked by Karina Cooper. It's the first in a series, as are many. Um, and it takes place in a future Seattle uh, where magic is real and humanity is, like, has is terrified of it. So witches are stigmatized by society. It's like kind of back to like Salem witch trial levels. Um, everybody's afraid of them. And there's this order of like holy soldier priest dudes whose job it is to hunt down the witches and make sure that they don't mess up humanity any more than it's already messed up. <laughs> Except that they believe that all witches are bad, which is obviously not true because nothing in life is that black and white. Um, and so the main character, Jessie, has been, is an independent witch. She's been off the grid trying to hide from these soldiers, make sure nobody knows who she is. Um, she is... But she's found by a soldier named Silas, um, who really believes that he's doing good work and, like, helping to keep the world safe. Uh, and so he is trying to... He's using Jesse to track down a ring of witches that he's been, like, trying to track down for forever. Um, he thinks her brother is involved and um, it believes that her brother is, like, gonna set off another apocalypse, which humanity might not survive this time. So there's a lot of, like hate for each other because they're on opposite sides of this huge schism. Um, and the world building is really interesting. I really enjoyed the, like, future grungy, dark Seattle and all oh, the magic stuff is really great and there's a lot of, like, steamy, steamy, steamy oh, scenes oh. in this book. It's very steamy. Um, Much steam. Very hot. Also super bloody, just for the record. So there's, uh, so yeah, so that is Blood of the Wicked by Karina Cooper. Good times. And that's our show. That's our show. Now we did it. <laughs> All right. Um, so yeah, if you like the show, please rate us at iTunes, leave a review. Uh, you can find us on social media. I'm at, I'm Amanda Nelson. Jen is at Jen IRL. Of course, Book Riot is at Book Riot if you feel like talking to us there. That's fine. Um, so thank you so much to our sponsors of Fireman by Joe Hill, who is awesome, and Book Riot Live. And we will talk to you all next week. <laughs>